hello there, and welcome to another episode of Jumpcast. This is, you know, this is the 47th episode of it being us three. We are so Aww. close to, I know, is it 47 <gasps> or 48? I'm trying to think now. Well, 48. 48, oh should my be Lord. 49 because we took a week off. It should be, oh my God. Okay, wow, okay. <laughs> We're losing track. It's like um, incarnations of Doctor Who. You know, we're just like, are we on number thirteen now? Are we number? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, but that's great. Wow. Okay, what a ride it's been so far. We are coming up to a year as well together. I say, oh. first anniversary is paper as well, guys. I'm just saying. Paper. Oh. Now I want something better than that. <laughs> It gets better as you go. I think that's the idea, isn't it? Is that the as it um... gets better? <laughs> Incentivize staying together in a relationship. <laughs> that's why I've not done so well on that. Oh, uh... all I know is that after that, like third is leather and fifth is wood. I only know the fifth one because Pinky. that's gone. I know. Well, wow. <laughs> so, oh man, no, no, <laughs> God, this is descended well, already. Damn. Okay, well, welcome if you're already if you're new to Jumpcast. Uh, what we do is every week we discuss the big news, uh, the trailers, and the reviews of the big releases. In this instance, we're going to be talking about Brian and Charles, the Sea Beast, the new Netflix movie, which basically came with some, some no fanfare, and of course the big film of the week, Taika Waititi's. Thor, Love and Thunder. I would normally say Marvel's Thor, Love and Thunder, but I feel like in this case, Taika Waititi's Thor, Love and Thunder seems quite fitting. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, joining me on this uh, journey through uh, the cinematic landscape are my co-hosts and lovely, great friends, uh, Alex Gilston. Hello. Bold of you to assume we're friends. I know, I used that word and I thought, oh, I'm going to regret this now as soon as I come to you. <laughs> no, of course we are, Simon. Oh, hello. <laughs> I, tell, I tell myself every night before I go to sleep, I'm like, I'm so thankful that I have Alex as a friend. I'm glad You're going to make me feel bad now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I feel like I, uh, I have the message from Clarence uh, in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, the no man is a failure who has friends. <laughs> and immediately I see that and think of you. And now, no, no. No, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, bell ain't gonna be ringing anytime soon, Clarence. Uh, right. <laughs> alongside uh, Alex is Charlotte Harrison. Ahoy, acquaintance. Ahoy, acquaintance. Good. Like the alliteration. <laughs> I don't oh, actually no. mean it. He's being keep really let like down here. Acquaintance. Keep it distant. Keep it cordial. <laughs> keep it... <laughs> I, the alliteration so well. was very pleasing for me. No, no, that's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, as I say, does so well against the uh, as a counter thesis to uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. But again, <laughs> we will get to that later. But until we do, uh, as I said, we've got the usual bits and pieces, plus central fun feature at the end of the show. But as we start every week, it's good, it's nice. You know, it's nice when, when you have friends around to catch up. And I'm going to keep using that word to make Alex feel even worse. <laughs> he's got a shovel and he's going to keep digging. By the end of the show, who knows how, how deep he's going to be. Uh, but I'm going to start with you, Alex, friend of mine. How has your week been? What have you been up to? Not much. I went axe throwing. Axe throwing? Oh. Yeah. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, it was great. I was very nervous um, about, you know, it, it kind of the axe bouncing back and killing me. But, it, you know, 
that's actually not something that you have to worry about in that situation as much as you might think. Um, well, that's good. But yeah, it was fun. It was it was very good. In terms of TV and stuff, I've been all over the place. Uh-huh. I, I'm trying to think of everything that I've watched and thinking of highlights. Probably The Boys, season three finale. Yeah, I was going to mention that myself. Sorry. Take any no, 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 no. I mean, like, yeah, because it was that good. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. Of course. Brilliant. Um, and then uh, Miss Marvel episode five that was brilliant. Oh, I thought it was very good. nice. <laughs> Charlotte's reaction then would uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm agreeing. I was oh, thinking. You were... <laughs> I had a no. I was thinking about how I had a student uh, this week. Uh, no, sorry, Friday. I was talking with Year Eight girl who's from a Pakistani Muslim household, and she was talking to me about how much the show meant to her. Oh, and she was saying oh. to me, "I don't." understand why marvel are making a show about this but i'm so glad they are we were talking yeah. about it it was really cute and i was just thinking we were talking about the partition depiction in episode five and i was like mm, that's what I was, the noise was because that was really scary how that was depicted the i don't think you quite appreciated learning about it in history the extent of it yeah right it yeah a good job of capturing it i thought it was a very well made episode and that was i think if noise. the the finale sticks the landing, then it will for sure be like the best Marvel series, maybe just by one division. Um and yeah, I think that that's it really. I haven't been a bit boring. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You've been busy, you've been throwing axes. True. I'm watching Wimbledon, I suppose. Oh yeah. And that's over now though, which I'm very yeah. sad about. The clash of the the dickheads, charmers, yeah. <laughs> the clash of the shitans, <laughs> the krakens. There you go, krakens. There we go. Hey, very good. Um, but yeah, God, one to miss that was. I mean, the game. Well, no. Anyway, uh, Charlotte, what about yourself? How's your week been? What have you been up to? What have you caught? Right, two things I've done this week, I'll talk about quickly. I went to LFCC, London Film Comic Con on Sunday. Oh, nice. I went for the book event, the YALC, the Young Adult Literature Conference. I go every year, I get posters to my classroom, books for the kids. I love it. I was walking around with my friends, nosing around the signings and all that bit. Joseph Quinn walked past us. I reacted like a normal human being. Oh, there's the man from the things. Walked past me, it was great. I've never been in an environment quite like this. The herd of mainly young women, but not exclusively, chasing after him, screaming, filming, was insane. Oh my god. I've never, I've been around hysteria before, but this was next level. It was silent in that room, but the screams. And they chased him down from his booth to where he was delivering a talk. Yeah. Rammed down there, around the balcony, six deep, trying to get a look in and watch. He cried during the talk. That's gone viral on TikTok. And to top it all off, just in terms of how weird it was as a contrast, Arthur Darvel, who plays Rory in Doctor Who, was doing a talk at exactly the same time in the small room with nowhere near the degree of hype. What? I felt very bad for him. Well, I don't know if you could see what was going on. Probably could, but... um. So that was my look into the hype storm right now. Uh... Twice, two Mondays in a row, I have met Nick Helm at his podcast recording. He's doing a film quiz podcast. 
uh, which she has comedians play the quiz, not the audience. Belgus Okay, quiz. yeah. Um, and I don't know if I've discussed the podcast before the prophecy, the 2012 prophecy from my brother Matthew Harrison, who declared my soulmate is Trevor Noah meets Nick Helm. So I met <laughs> half of the prophecy twice, and I thought like a gong would go, or they'd be like a level up. Oh, so, <laughs> <Nothing> <laughs> so life has just continued having met half my prophesied soulmate and i met his girlfriend as well so that didn't yesterday oh. so, um in terms of stuff i've watched i know you want to know there was no below deck last week because it all finished the week before oh a new series started today and i don't know if i'm feeling it no no it's oh, no. Mm, i know and is it because free... I was gonna say, is it because there's just been so much that you've been taking in, or is it just like like that adjustment period with a new crew or I think the new crew's playing a part. Yeah. And um, they always see the teaser and they're like, Oh, look at all these things to come. And every year it without fail gets madder. And there's some <laughs> insane stuff coming up this series. But I think it's because it's a new crew. Normally you get a couple of cast members returning each year. This time round, it's the captain is the same, one new one returner, and seven new crew. Right. And you know, it's a bit like with a relationship, or you're kind of like, oh, I've done this before, I've been hurt before. Do I want to learn to get to know someone new? That's where I'm at. <laughs> Surely it's just like the cycle of having a new doctor, not like a yeah. precision doctor, as in Doctor Who. But then with the Doctor, they tend to stick around for a couple of years, right? With this, it's oh, 18 it... episodes in a series. Oh, and then right. they go again. Okay. Sometimes it's pretty irregular. I don't know. Maybe they've just not got the fit right this time. I don't know. Hmm. I might be fully wrong. I might be speaking next week and I'll be like, episode two, damn. <laughs> it's one but... year over. <laughs> Currently, I don't know. I'd love to know if there are any other below deck listeners at watchers <laughs> listening right now who can get in touch and let me know if they're feeling the same. Nice. Alrighty. Well, I want to. I want to get that update from you next week. So keep us posted. Definitely. Um, thank you. As for me, uh, yeah, not a whole lot. I went to Two Thousand Trees Festival over the weekend, which was a whole lot of fun. If you went, listeners, then you can avow for it. <laughs> you can vouch for it being as good as, um, as good as it was because yeah, such fun. Um. One of those one of those uh, festivals where it's so low key that everyone's just really nice, even though it's just loads of very kind of punky and sometimes very like heavy screamy metal, and it's like yeah, one of those weird things we expect it to be very intense, but everyone's just the kindest and nicest. Um, and yeah, had a lot of fun with that. Found loads of new acts that I am putting on infinite repeat, which is great. Uh, as for TV and stuff. Uh, being over the weekend kind of puts you out of commission on that front, but I did get to see the end of The Boys, as Alex said. Um, yeah, really good. And looking forward to Series 4, because it feels like they have an end game in sight now. Um, and it feels like, yeah, we are getting closer to something resembling an ending there. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot else, I'd say, to be honest, except for, well, one of the three films that we said we're going to be talking about later. So I guess we should get straight into it. And we begin with the news, as ever. And we begin, on that note, with reports that... So, you may remember 2015, I want to say? Maybe 2014. 
Uh, Asif Kapadia, the director of uh, such films as Senna and Diego Maradona, uh, created a documentary about Amy Winehouse, just called Amy. It was um, hugely acclaimed, won Best Documentary Feature, I think, at the Oscars and many other places. But it seems like we are set to have, on top of that, a biopic about Amy Winehouse. And it seems to have its director secured in the shape of Sam Taylor Johnson. Um, so this is going to be called Back to Black, is the, is, is, well, is the news we have. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's been 11 years now since she passed. And yeah, I guess, guys, how do you feel about this? Um, especially in the wake of, like I said, when you had Amy already and so many other documentaries in the past. How, how do you feel about a Amy Winehouse biopic? And more, and more to the point, a Sam Taylor Johnson Amy Winehouse biopic. Charlotte? I'm not feeling great, if I'm honest. Um, I quite liked Nowhere Boy, which was Sam mm. Taylor Johnson's work about the Beatles. It's where she met Aaron Johnson, who was the lead. Um, but I don't think this film needs to be made. Now I'm older than Amy was when she died, it does make you fully appreciate just what she went through. To have been scrutinised in the way she was, to be laughed at for her suffering, I don't know what we're achieving by them putting it on the screen so soon. Let alone, considering that documentary highlighted, her parents, especially her dad, came off really badly from that documentary, from what I remember. Mm, yeah. I'm fascinated that they've given the approval because I think they control the estate to let this happen. It all just feels really odd. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I kind of feel the same way to be honest, Charlotte. It's uh, yeah, uncertain. I probably got that from when I was talking about other bits and pieces and other coverage that they've had before. And I was a very big fan of Amy the documentary. I thought it was really well done. Um, but Alex, you might share a different sentiment. But how how do you feel about absolutely the news not. we have? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, completely agree. It's just like it's going to be so difficult to get it right. I think without it coming across as just insensitive and wrong. It, yeah, it's it's a really weird one. I think, especially considering that it, it's one of those things where everyone's kind of like, "Oh, it's been eleven years," and it's like, "Yeah, but it's been it's only been eleven years." Yeah. Elvis had yeah. been like 50, right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, even Freddie was like 20, almost. Or, you mm. know, something like that. I don't know. Uh, Elton John's still alive! Elton John's uh, still alive. <laughs> yeah. At time of recording. At time. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, don't say that. Um... <laughs> Just because you can't rule out anything. I hope that by the time this comes out, he's, you know, A OK. Yeah, he'll be fine. And if not, everyone will know who's going um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, it's one of those. And then Sam Taylor Johnson. <sighs> well, the less said about that, the better, I suppose. It's interesting the TikTok kids picking up on that in a way that hasn't really been discussed over the years. Not very specific. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Well, I'm sure when uh, things 
evolve more with with this film and with Sam Taylor Johnson's involvement and whoever else. We will bring it to you as we hear it. So yeah, keep an eye out and an ear out, or both ears out if you could, for that. Okay, so we go from one director to another. Oh gosh, we're actually going across directors <laughs> in this news. Uh, so Captain America Four, yes, Captain America Four with Captain America played by Anthony Mackie. Yes, deal with it. Is definitely happening, and it um, on director news. It also has a director attached. Julius Honor 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 is officially taking the helm on this one. Uh, so this uh, he was the director for Loose a couple of years ago, and before that, the Cloverfield Paradox, um, and some other bits and pieces before that. Um, but yeah, in the wake of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it looks like Sam Wilson is definitely going to be cap in terms of the Marvel stuff. Um, obviously, don't want to hear it in terms of any dissent there, uh, because frankly, you know, it's just not it's just not true or relevant because it is what's going to happen. But how do we feel about the moving on the forward momentum on Captain America for Alex? I'm excited. I think, you know, <clears throat> I don't, obviously, the whoever made that tweet on The Hollywood Reporter is completely out of touch and clearly didn't watch the entire series that is dedicated to the helm switching over from Steve Rogers to Sam Wilson yeah, and him becoming Captain America, literally, in the series. <laughs> literally. Literally, um, like, throughout, yeah. So that's all stupid, but yeah, I'm very excited. I I genuinely believe that it, it could be brilliant, actually. Um, yeah, because the Falcon and the Winter Soldier wasn't terrible, and I feel like if the the kind of the vibes carry over, especially storyline wise, and I'd be really interested to see if um, uh, what is he called now? I'm going to have to Google it. Okay. That's very, um, very bad of me. <laughs> uh, give us, give us a clue. Eli Bradley. There we are. Oh, he was yes. interested in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He was. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see if he is going to factor into Captain America Four at all. Um, I think it would be very good if he is. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel like the, I feel like the, the feeling I got seeing. Sam Wilson as Captain America at the end of Falcon and Soldier was unparalleled to anything in Phase 4 so far. So, it, it can only get better, surely. Certainly hope so. Yeah, I feel like, if anything else, this is just going to continue to make... This is just going to make Falcon and Winter Soldier like relevant and worth watching, which mm. is a lot more than the people who were marketing it at the time managed. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Ah, uh, God, that's not any fault of the thing itself, just to be absolutely clear. Um, but, okay, uh, Charlotte, what about yourself? Are you excited for for, these, for this direction, for director news? Are you excited for Captain America 4? I think Captain America 4 and Anthony Mackie getting his platform, finally, is well-deserved. I'm fascinated, though, this is the director's third feature film. Like, Can you imagine who's done lots of shorts, music video, mm. third feature film, and he you're helming Marvel. Yeah, that is wild, isn't it? 
not that that's an indicator of anything because i think if we do to go back through the back catalogue this isn't the first time that's happened it just i wonder why this specific director loose i remember being interesting hmm i don't remember anything distinctive about the, the direction per se but intriguing yeah and with the cloverfield paradox yeah. i mean it's as the third best cloverfield film <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i didn't think the direction was the issue there let's be let's just make that clear um but yeah be interested to see where that goes and uh very excited to see a new a new name and direction there so yeah fingers crossed uh that comes to something good Alrighty. so from exciting new things to well <laughs> we know we know how uh, one third of us certainly felt about this director's most recent outing. Uh, Alex Garland has been chatting, and it sounds like he might be stepping away from the director chair, potentially for a little bit, maybe maybe even for longer than that. It doesn't feel like all that long ago that he only stepped into things, though, with Ex Machina being his first proper directorial role, if you don't count all the bits where he's allegedly stepped in. Dread, for instance. Um, but I mean, is this welcome news, Charlotte? I I'm curious. In the wake of in the wake of men, to go to you first. In the wake of men. Um, <laughs> the thing is, the direction wasn't bad with men. I it was mm. very, visually very interesting. The director of photography was amazing. It was the script that was the problem. Yeah. And what this news is suggesting to me is implying to me is he's going to step away from directing to focus more on writing. And that's where I'm scared. So, <laughs> um, so I'm not really affected by this news. And again, Ex Machina was very well directed. Yeah. Did he direct Annihilation as well? Yeah. Did, he did, yeah. yeah. And Men, again, was all right. Direction was all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. All righty. Uh, <laughs> no problem. And uh, Alex? From one Alex to another. From one Alex to another. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't look at it and go, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel like an Alex Garland film is always going to be a, a pull, especially, you know, how he's kind of solidified himself in his in his own way through the past couple of films, maybe not men specifically, but Ex Machina and Annihilation, definitely. So, whether he goes away and then comes back or goes away for even longer and then comes back, I'm sure that I'll still be in a seat watching one of his films being yeah. intrigued as anything about what I'm about to see. So, yeah. yeah. But I'm not, like, bereft. Well, that's more than fair enough. I'd say. And yeah, on both points, yeah. I think, you know, um, from you and Charlotte. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see what happens there. Because, um, yeah, you never know. He might just come bouncing back with Men 2 this time. Electric it's... boogaloo. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll again, see if anything comes of that. Okay. Uh, next up, so we have more casting news and more casting news from a very exciting project. So Bong Joon-ho has been getting ready his cast and crew for the adaptation of 
Mickey Seven, the sci-fi novel. Uh, we already knew that Robert Pattinson was taking the lead in that role, but uh, and we also knew that it was going to be including such cast as Naomi Aki, Mark Ruffalo, and Tony Collette. We have another name to add to that now, which is Stephen Yun, who is oh man, so exciting for this. Uh, so yes, this is well, we don't have much more information on that one, though we we know that he's going to be doing the rounds for Nope imminently so fingers crossed we get a bit more information out of him for this you never know but steven young in more stuff is always exciting right alex take it give it me now i mean i've loved steven young forever ever since the walking dead i'm just an an obsessed i say he really does show up in these interesting genre massive works doesn't he like you got this you got invincible Yes. Oh my gosh, he's so good at Invincible. Yeah, and then you got Nope as well coming. So like, he's gonna get the Jordan Peele seal, the Peele seal. Absolutely. <laughs> so good. Man. Peel of approval. The Peel of approval. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think he's brilliant. Um, this film looks as though it is gonna be quite utterly the best film ever. <laughs> From the cast, it's, the director, honestly, the story just sounds brilliant. It's very exciting. Yeah, you've got Bong Joon-ho in his element. You've got a lead actor who is just on a roll. And you've got a supporting cast. Just absolutely no one in there is a weak link. Um, oh my God, I just Charlotte, maybe... Minari, sorry. Oh, Minari, of course. Oh, brilliant in that film. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, man. Well, Charlotte. Feel free to pour scorn or add praise, whatever you want to do, uh, with regards to this news about Mickey Seven and Stephen Young. You know when you see a film and it feels just like an event, like you've seen something important, you've been moved, you've been mm. emotionally invested. That was Parasite. That press screening at Courthouse Hotel, whatever it was, it would have been a little while before release. We'll go for like two months, six weeks. Um, and having this kind of secret of how good this film was and how much... But not knowing how big it would become, let alone Oscar award winning. Yeah. Um. That's one good thing's happened in twenty twenty, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. It was all downhill from there, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and also Okja. I was thinking about just how good Okja is lately. And Snowpiercer, mm. everything, all of them, yeah. all of them. Say, so I can't think of a bad film by him. Oh man, director Bong, what a guy. Ah man. So yes, we will again continue to all those bits and pieces. We if, if there are more scintillating pieces of information to give you, we absolutely will. Um but before we move on to trailer talk, there is just one more thing I feel is apt to mention. Um uh, because we haven't actually brought one of these up in a little while, but um in fact this will be really old news by the time this comes out. Uh but before the weekend just gone as time of recording. Uh, we lost a very prominent actor, uh, James Kahn. Uh, he was 82, and he had such a CV on his... Like, like, they, such a list of films on his CV. Uh, you had, well, I mean, first and foremost, things like The Godfather for Sonny Corleone, um, which is a role which is just had him immortalised um, forever in cinema. But then you have things like Misery... That film is just uh, so good, so tense, and just thrilling. Uh, you've got things like Thief, 
and Elf as well. Like, you know, there was such a... Like, it's, it, it's just like, a no, lot that he's been in all of these massive films. Say. And the things I remember him for are Elf and Claudio with a chance of meatballs. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. Like, he had that range. He was so versatile. And, you know, he had he had a great um, career in TV as well. Like, he, he was happy to do the lot, you know? And, but yeah, God, what a long life and what a long and successful career. And yeah, I just thought it was worth you know, offering some sympathies and you know, some and some recognition and respect of a, of a really lengthy and, and successful career. So, um, cool. On that note, we should probably move on quickly to trailer talk. Now, apologies to start on a bum note, but we do have to talk about the new David O. Russell film. I know. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. Nobody wants to do it, but it's there on the list. So, the man who can't help but basically harass and abuse his crew and his cast, whatever the film may be, no matter how big the star may be, he's back. And his film Amsterdam has its first big trailer. And, yeah, I mean, it looks like a David O. Russell film. Uh, but, Charlotte, what are your thoughts from what you've seen so far? I know I've seen the trailer. Mm. Um, I don't really remember anything about it, if I'm honest. Apart from that it had lots of people in it. Did it have Matthias? <laughs> Chanuts, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I took away from it. I was like, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will... No, I have no thoughts on this film. I don't want it to exist. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. And yeah, I feel like that's kind of the pattern with David O. Russell's films is that there's nothing actually remarkable about any of them. Like, not one film. I'm saying this very pointedly because I know there are people out there who listen to this who are very big fans of at least one of these films. Uh, like one of Alex's other podcast co-hosts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered that and I completely like, whoop! I just know she's listening going, ah. <laughs> Yeah, not one. Not one good film. Anyway, um, I say it's fine. I will look forward to when she hears that. <laughs> but yeah, Alex, do you have anything to share on Amsterdam? Really. The film, not the place. Yeah, I'd like to go one day. No, I'm joking. Um, no, <laughs> I... Uh... Yeah, no, it's it's um it's difficult, isn't it? Another difficult one. Mm. Another... Should we really be supporting it? Probably not. I, I what I will say is that you you said this literally just before, but I was watching the trailer going, yeah, this is a David O. Russell film. You can just tell. Yeah, which I don't know is a good thing or a bad thing. It has at least his style thing... is distinctive, but as say, yeah. Yeah, stylistically, it's there. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to be clambering to go and watch this film, even though it has like 70 million people in it. <laughs> yeah, and my, my bugbear, and I mentioned this before recording, is I feel like about six or seven years ago, the whole, this actually happened before a film, rather than the, you know, this is a true story, mm. um, I thought was, oh, how very droll. And now it's just like, oh, that's a bit obnoxious. But yeah, that's just, I don't know. Of all the things that are clearly wrong with a David Russell project, and clearly we'll hear some stories when this film comes out, uh, because I wouldn't be surprised if he carries on his behaviour. Um, yeah, that's just the thing that got me. Anyway, Amsterdam, there you go. It'll be a film. 
another thing which is coming out which looks great and if you don't scratch the surface based on the things that have uh, been discussed about the film in the wake of the trailer being released the woman king so when this was released i was definitely one of those who was caught up in the hype of how good it looked and how fun it seemed uh, on the jumpcast twitter page uh, which you can check out at jumpcast <laughs> underscore uh, i was straight on it and was like this looks really cool um, but yeah, some things since then, you know, people have gone, actually, let's look at the history of this. And yeah, a bit difficult to go in with the same level of excitement, I'll be honest. But Alex, do you have anything in the tanks for looking forward to The Woman King? I mean, it's the one and only Viola Davis, so always. Mm. But again, same reservations, essentially, going into it. Yeah, yeah. And Charlotte, how about yourself? Yeah, so I shared with you both before recording, there's a thread on Twitter from the History of Africa podcast that goes through why this film is so problematic in yeah. the Americanization of African history. And I think it's really worth reading because the trailer was so strong. I was so enthused, like, yeah, women and <laughs> overcoming it, whatever. And reading this and thinking, oh, but maybe you aren't doing the actual story the justice it deserves. Yeah. So, I mean, we can wait and see the film, but those facts that listed in that thread, supported with evidence and history, make me wonder. Yeah, it's the tricky one, isn't it? I think yeah, we'll have to have to wait and see. And yeah, definitely check out that thread. It, is, it was very interesting reading prior to recording. So definitely. And thank you, Charlotte, for sharing it. Um, okay. So, moving on, we have a film that one of us has actually seen. Uh, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Uh, Charlotte, I'm going to come straight to you first on this one because you have seen the film. So, how well does the trailer sell this? I'm not quite sure, to be honest. I don't know if the tonal shifts in the film were truly reflected. Most of the feedback from Sundance was the tonal whiplash you get watching it. Okay. And that's true. There is this weird hybrid of zany quirky and very stark and serious because what it's dealing with are issues that have been prevalent within some of those uh evangelical christian communities the Mm. sisters who made the film are from that community and are reflecting some experiences they know or have been lived through others the film is you know, I always say, like, I want a film that's new and ambitious. And it does try that, and I do respect the film hugely for what it tries to do. Yeah. I don't know if it fully pulls it off, but the performances at the front are amazing. Nice. I'm really excited for it. I think, um, yeah, it's got some interesting performances in there from the trailer alone. It's like, yeah, I'm on board. Uh, Alex, how do you feel about uh, this having, you know, seeing this for the first time? Yeah, it looks it looks interesting enough. and I think that uh, I, I quite like Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown, both brilliant. Hmm. So yeah, I'd, I'll definitely give it a give it a good old go when it comes Alrighty. out. Nice. Let's say, yeah, so this comes out soon, I think, in the next month or so. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, another one, which certainly seems to have garnered some interest, and Alex, funny enough, I'm coming straight back to you with this one. I'm not even going <laughs> to set it up. Luck. <laughs> Oh, yes. Look, a film where 
if you didn't know anything about the production company behind it, you'd be like, this looks so good as a like a nice animated family film. The idea is brilliant. Um, it looks really interesting. Um, but then you look at the production company that it is made by, which is Skydance Animation. And the head of Skydance Animation, who is John Lasseter, who is, yeah, without beating around the bush, a terrible person. So it's hard to be excited for it. And I, it's one of those things where, like, he's only involved on, like, a production level, but it's still difficult to support it. Like, he literally had to leave Pixar because of, of all of the, you know, allegations against him and and that and that kind of stuff. So it, it's really kind of disheartening to see him at the head of another animation company, um, still doing his thing. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's yeah, I mean, it's the the, it's the definition of someone failing upward, isn't it? Really, it's absolutely. Yeah, and it's um it's being impervious to. You know the the voice cast is is brilliant. You got Simon Pegg and Jane Fonda and Whoopi Goldberg. Um, I just, yeah, I just I don't know. It's again another difficult one. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but Charlotte, how how do you feel about um the the trailer for Luck from what we've seen so far? Obviously, yeah, I went in blind, not twigging the John Lassen John Lassenter Luke. Mm. Um. It's a weird trailer. I think halfway through, it feels like a very different movie. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I I was like, I don't know if this is really good or really bad. Mm, so I yeah. look forward to seeing that in the, <laughs> the film overall. Yeah, I'd say my reaction was very much a, huh? What on earth? Kind of thing. Which I think Charlotte got first. Had <laughs> you the <laughs> I was like on the other line, just watching it like about a minute or two before we went on, and yeah, it's just like, what on earth is this? Um, but yeah, with that added context as well, it's just, yeah, not sure. But hey, I'm sure we will give it a review when it comes out in a couple of weeks. So yeah, keep your ears out for that one. Right. So moving on, we have an Aubrey Plaza film, and this is uh, her being a filthy crim. In fact, the clue's in the name because it's Emily the Criminal. Um, a filthy crim. A filthy crim. Yeah, that's right. Take that, crims. Uh, yeah, I I mean, this looks fine. It's someone who's um, basically, yeah, on, on a downward path in life, turns to a life of crime, enjoys it, gets carried away. Yeah. Uh, but Charlotte, maybe you're more enthused? No. Um, no. <laughs> I'm going to link my re- my feedback for this with one of the other films trailers. Cool. Yes. I'm going to link this to Spin Me Round because it's she's got she's also in it. Yep, that's fair. But yes. it has the same problem, two problems that I'm seeing a lot of in cinema. One is the idea of the problematic woman, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. They did that as a joke, didn't they? Featuring a difficult woman or something. Do you remember in the trailer? I didn't at the start. I think so, yeah. Oh, what yes, of course, for? for the um the influencer one where yeah. she pretends to be, yeah. So 
there's that aspect and also it's these i don't know if she had anything to do with it directly these, these women um what was that brie larson one unicorn store oh unicorn store yeah it's the same with these conventionally attractive women who seem to have everything playing women down on their luck or depressed or whatever i just find it really patronizing i'm not saying if you're beautiful you should be happy and therefore all your films should be happy but there's a particular this was like a particular brand of film or type of film or thread of film that i really am not enjoying yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean it's hmm yeah not great and yeah, spin me round. I kind of feel the same thing. I, I'm with you on that. It's just, yeah, I don't know. But Alex, how about yourself? Um, yeah, let's do this in a double. Why not? Uh, on on both those, what are your what are your um, sentiments? Well, I I've actually seen Emily the Criminal. So um, have you actually? Yeah, I watched the Sundance where oh. where it premiered. Uh, what I will say is that I don't think the trailer does it justice. Interesting. Potentially. Also, Aubrey Plaza was a producer on this film, too, which I think is something to um to kind of mention. Um, But yeah, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. The, the thing is, is that I feel like the trailer makes it look like that this, like you, you were both saying, this kind of really standard, like, a woman's down on a look. She just, like, you know, does crime, likes it, then think bad things happen. But I think underneath the surface, it really does work as like a biting commentary on capitalism and how how it like you know the cost of living crisis and all that stuff kind of affects us. And obviously, the example in the film is a very <laughs> it's a very um out there uh that you know <clears throat> what's the word depiction yeah like obviously it, it the film isn't being like this is what everyone does if they're if they're you know not doing well with their money yeah like <laughs> it... <laughs> speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> what i said on my initial reaction tweet to this um was emily the criminal or uh an alternate title uh is i think i've accidentally girl bossed a bit too close to the sun <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, I, I do think that it should definitely be given a chance, and I, I think I don't think it is as surface level as the trailer makes it look for sure. That's fair. Okay. As for the other and, one, yeah. I'm, I don't have a clue. I don't know what what that's going to be at all. Like you said, like you said when watching it, like gave you very hallmark vibes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> Which I mean, well, we're getting close to that time of year again where we're going to start being. <laughs> Shut up! I'll do my reading from the yes. Book. <laughs> oh my god, I'm looking forward Business. to it. <laughs> Alex, was that a shut up because you're so worried about Christmas coming, or because? No, actually, to be fair, I would like it to be nice and cold again. That'd be exactly. Good. Yeah, I feel like my brain is just so foggy because of how hot it is right now. Like if. Yeah. If at all this podcast sounds like so disjointed and weird, like they're more than usual, it's because it's just so hot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, so if you're looking, if you're in the market for a documentary all about um, some 
Hollywood couples, then Ethan Hawke has got the documentary for you, The Last Movie Stars. So this is um how, well, it's it's this bizarre thing. So it's going over the relationship between um Paul Newman, Newman. and I'm trying to Woodward. Thank you Woodward. so much. Yes, yes. Um so their relationship, their marriage, and because well, according to the trailer, according to Ethan Hawke in the trailer, uh, they had recorded interview tapes or, or kind of them talking about their their relationship together in all aspects. Um, some of it sounds quite fruity from what was uh, included in the trailer, uh, but these tapes were destroyed. So what they've done is they've got the transcripts and got big current contemporary actors to act them basically. Um, and you've got people like George Clooney, like Sam Rockwell, like Laura Linney involved, and many other people. And yeah, it's um, basically just kind of basically trying to get to the the heart of what made these people tick. And yeah, like I say, the last movie stars in particular, and like Paul Newman and Joanna Woodward, um, yeah, just being so as well, so 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 them really. Uh, but yeah, how do you feel about this, guys? As uh, um, an interesting project, sure, to say the least. Um, but how do you feel, Charlotte? I'm looking forward to it. It's a six-part documentary series, but I thought it was worth flagging oh, for the format yeah. as well over Zoom. But also because the couple Paul and Duran are regarded as one of those Hollywood couples, those golden couples who were so admirable for their relationship and how it was portrayed in the media, and also from personal accounts. Um. Also, what's interesting is when they first got together, Joanne was the star, yeah. and Paul was the up-and-comer, and that kind of shift in their dynamic and their relationship will be really interesting to see play out. And like you said, the list of people on this, you've got Bobby Cannavale, Sam Rockwell, Oscar Isaac, Ewan McGregor, Billy Crudup, Zoe oh, yeah. Sam. It's really intriguing. And Martin Scorsese executive produced as well. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Well, that should be very exciting then. Excellent. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Charlotte's looking forward to it. Alex, are you looking forward to it? Well, I think when I first started watching the trailer, I was like, oh, another documentary about some old-timey film people that I don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what a wonderfully creative way to tell a story. Uh, I mean, Ethan Hawke is brilliant, and he's clearly mm. put a lot of passion and thought into this project, from, from the trailer at least. Um... So yeah, I ca- I came into it going, oh, I don't care. And I went out of it being like, okay, I think this would be really interesting and I'm quite excited for it. Yeah. 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 Hooray. That's three for three. Well, let's see. It's always good to have some positivity before we go into the last one of this list because <laughs> I feel like, oh, well, the obnoxious loud revving pretty much sets the tone for this film. <laughs> That's going to be the entire film. Obnoxious <sighs> loud revving. Mighty. So Netflix have another film. You wouldn't know it, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's Jamie Fox. It is Dave Franco, and it is Snoop Dogg as vampire hunters, and vampire hunters in a film which is which has the fingerprints of people involved in, but not necessarily responsible for the good things about John Wick. It's Day Shift. And uh, yeah, I, pff, I mean, 
it looks like a John Wick film with vampires and <laughs> colour saturation turn up high. And Snoop Dogg. Can I just read the plot summary as my response oh my to this gosh. film? Yeah, yeah, go on, yeah. A hard-working, blue-collar dad who just wants to provide a good life for his quick-witted eight-year-old daughter. His mundane San Fernando Valley pool cleaning job is a front for his real source of income, hunting and killing vampires. I just... Like, that... You know what? That could be really interesting. Unfortunately, it's it looks like it's being executed in the most, just well, Netflix-friendly way possible. Looks like, yeah, just another <laughs> red notice spider head trash. Anyway, enough about that. Hopefully, some positives. Uh, Alex, how do you feel about the First of all, you're right, Simon. They re- really basically could have called it John Wick with vampires. I mean, they've even got an organization of vampire yeah, they do. hunters. Yeah. Like, come on. Uh, you know, it. it, it... <laughs> <laughs> the only way it'll be more like John Wick is if there's a really emotional scene at the beginning of the film where Jamie Foxx's werewolf pet gets murdered by a vampire. Hence yeah. the reason that he hunts vampires. Um, <laughs> that's so dumb. Jamie Foxx, <laughs> I, am, I am talking to you now, if you're listening. If you have brought Cameron Diaz out of retirement something on the level of this rubbish I'll be angry <laughs> you've upset Alex Jamie Fox. I mean that no one upsets no Alex. one upsets no one puts Alex in a corner and to be fair the film is apparently called Back in Action which isn't promising so mm. <laughs> well it's good to be optimistic about these things I think and, uh, I'll try my It's Cameron Diaz. It's Cameron Diaz. I'll just. This is a director debut, by the way. This film. Oh yeah, they by shift. the um, the stunt coordinator of uh, John Wick Two and Fast and Furious Nine, I think. What is the budget for this film? I mean, it's Netflix, so it's going to be like three hundred million dollars. Three hundred thousand views. <laughs> I saw something about Grey Man being the most expensive. Netflix film, yeah. And, yeah, and it'll when be the it most watched, out, most be... successful. <laughs> yeah. It will take over Red Notice as the most watched it Netflix have... original seconds. film. It will have already won Best Picture and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the uh, Library of Congress will have already put it in as just... artistically significant. I won't lie. Because Grey Man is getting cinema releases. Yeah, it is. I was going to yeah. say, it's yeah. very ballsy of Netflix to be releasing things like The Grey Man and Persuasion in cinemas as if they think it's going to garner any kind of awards hope in the future. Yeah. <laughs> cool, right, okay. So. Maybe Day Shift for Best Picture. Maybe Day Shift. I think Day Shift for Best Picture. Maybe Grey Man for Best Director. Yeah. Yeah. And Red Notice for and best Chris acting. Evans for best mustache. Oh yes, that is true. Well, I mean, we have to be nice about it in a way because it does have our Lord and Savior in, involved. Of course, so, it does. Yeah, uh, but well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Reserving judgment. But for now, at least, uh, that was the trailer talk. So before we move on to the reviews, we have our customary thank yous to give out. Uh, who would like to do the honors this week? Yeah, I can. Lovely. Charlotte, the floor is yours. When I've loaded the spreadsheet. <laughs> um, so, 
every episode we take a moment to say thank you to our patrons who help support writers at the magazine help give them a platform a space to write and celebrate film so we'd like to say a special thank you to our patrons who are chris wilson enon films robert denny daryl griffiths sam luck orla smith peter hodgkins andy meekin fabiana rosas hamish calver manuel bento and joe craig thank you for supporting jump cut and making jump cut great again hooray again 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 again. oh god time for telly tubby reviews no no um okay so let's move on uh to the review section and this is well it's that time again guys it's only been a month and yet we have the next big event cinema film event film cinema event film event by marvel studios because you know even though we've got ms marvel still broadcasting at the moment uh, broadcasting streaming god uh, <laughs> and we have doctor strange just gone to disney plus after being in cinemas all of a week ago yeah be excited for thor love and thunder <sighs> so thor thor 4 thor 4 i feel like that's a mouthful isn't it um sees the god of thunder himself on a bit of a soul search after realizing that he's been all alone and sad after seeing basically everyone die um his family his friends his planet you know the the whole lot uh so he's off rocking with the guardians of the galaxy at the start of the film and well basically is called into action to stop Gore the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale, who is on a vendetta against all gods uh, for reasons, and this puts him in the path of Thor and of the mighty Thor, played by Natalie Portman, who is Jane Foster returned. So, cue lots of awkward X-talk, cue lots of envy over Thor outfits and whatnot, and catchphrases, and of course, Hugh Taika Waititi. So, with all that set up, let's get into how we thought of the film. So, I'm going to start with Alex. What were your thoughts? What were your thoughts? Thoughts? Your thoughts. Yeah, you see what I'm doing? Ah, I see. Yeah. I'm going to keep saying it until it gets a laugh. Thoughts. Lots of thoughts. Oh, head empty, no thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because you look back five years ago to absolutely not nobody really being a massive fan of like solo Thor films. And then Ragnarok came out and everyone was like, yep, Thor's the best. Ragnarok is the best MCU film. For many years, it was my favorite MCU film. Um, and to be fair, it's still in like the top three easily, probably, in in some kind of way. Um, and it it kind of felt fresh in terms of like from Taika Waititi's perspective. No one really fully knew who Taika Waititi was at that point. Obviously, he'd done what we do in the shadows and the world. I think done some for the world people at that point. He did. Yeah. 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 Um. But I hadn't seen either of those films before that. Um, so it felt 
wonderful. But then fast forward five years, where literally all we have seen for the past five years is Taika Waititi, Taika Waititi, Taika Waititi. I'm not sure. I think the novelty may have worn off, um, unfortunately. Because I think everything that worked with Ragnarok, the cracks started to show in Love and Thunder. Um, especially in terms of, of the comedy side of things. Um, I saw someone on Twitter say this, but like, it's one of those things where when everything is funny, nothing is funny. Yeah. And while watching this film for the, for the first time at least, I, I mean, there was one thing that really annoyed me in terms of what Taika Waititi clearly in his head thought was absolutely hilarious and thought was going to be really, really funny, but was actually just incredibly annoying. And the fact that it was, uh, it, it was a thing that was in the film pretty much all the way through was annoying. Um, uh, the goat. <laughs> Uh, I just was really like, ugh, bye. Um, I saw someone say that he put them in because of his love of the Taylor Swift remix of I Knew You Were Trouble. Yeah, I think there was a video of him being like, there was just like a goat video and I don't know what it was. And then someone was like, is it the Taylor Swift thing? He was like, that's it. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't Um, that from like 2010? Oh, it's from a while ago. It's a good while ago. Um, But yeah, I... I think when I was laughing at things, instead of it being like a a genuinely kind of satisfying laugh, it was more of a have I have my head in my hands laugh. Right. Laughing at like it. Like a cringe laugh. Kind of. Yeah, there was a lot of things that a lot of people said where I was kind of like, ah, oh, okay. But I'm still laughing. Um I feel like it it struggled plot wise. Weirdly enough, how we complain about Marvel films being really long. <laughs> I feel like two hours was enough to tell the story that this film was trying to tell, properly, at least. Uh, I think it, it did an okay job of it, and what I will say is that once it all ties together at the end, it does feel a bit more satisfying. Um, I, I, I especially the first time I watched it, when it ended, and with that final line, I was kind of like, ah, oh, that's nice. Especially with the context about it being um, Chris Hemsworth's daughter as well. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think Marvel fatigue is creeping in as Star Wars fatigue has fully taken over my body. Um mm. Marvel fatigue is 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 creeping in, and I'm 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 scared. I'm I'm wondering when the, when which project it's going to be. What's going to happen? Ah, uh, it's just sad. I think, but I didn't hate it. I thought um Chris Hemsworth was great. He he's basically lives and breathes Thor now, doesn't he? Um, and I'm sure he will live and breathe Thor for a long time to come. Uh, Tessa Thompson, I feel was given the short end of the stick, uh, especially considering that at Comic-Con in 2019, we were promised that we were going to get a storyline of her finding her queen, and all we got was her kissing a woman's hand. Um, So that was very disappointing, I think, from that perspective. Natalie Portman was brilliant. It was great to see her back as as Jane, and even better to see her as the Mighty Thor. I thought that she, she played that really, really well. 
Um, and Christian Bale was was also brilliant as Gore. I probably one of the MCU's creepiest villains. Um, and then I think my final thought is is that the thing that I think stopped me from disliking this film was the fact that it was wasn't in any way connected to the wider MCU, bar the Guardians cameos, which I could have if they weren't in it, I genuinely wouldn't have cared. Like it. I actually would have been better, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, but I am happy that it's its own story that isn't encumbered by having to have watched 62 other things to actually be able to enjoy it. That is absolutely fair enough, I'd say. Um, Charlotte, how do you feel? Do you share Alex's sentiment? or do you, do you, what, are your, what are your thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder? I think the same word, slightly different font, maybe, would be my approach. I agree with a lot of what Alex has said. I think we're seeing this on a school trip next week, the end of year reward trip. And I'm interested to see it. I think it's with year seven we're going. See the response to the film, because realistically, the film which creates the emotional core of this film was made when they were babies. The, right. the investment in the dynamic with Jane and her storyline comes from having seen those previous films. While the film does depict a kind of showreel montage of Jane and Thor's relationship, the real dynamics and their interplay came from those previous that previous film, previous two films. And I think the issue with this film fundamentally, that runtime set alarm bells for me because the story, it suggests like, it's just an underdeveloped film. But realistically, it's because the story at the heart of it, there isn't enough story to warrant a film. Be that a film that's one hour 45 or two hours 30. When you lay out what happens in this film, it's a tiny paragraph. The villain is underdeveloped and there's not quite enough reason to connect with him emotionally or justify his actions. And his actions are alluded to as opposed to presented explicitly, which would create more of an emotional response to him, I think. Um, I love Chris Hemsworth's Chris Hemsworth commitment to the character. Uh, I liked the goats a bit more than I think both of you did. I enjoyed the recurring gag about the love triangle, not to specify who is involved in the love triangle. It was very funny. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, it's a three and a half star film, isn't it? Really, Absolutely. whereas Thor Ragnarok was I just smashed it. I also think Taika Waititi, whether that was as a joke, or whatever, on the press tour, has set himself up for failure with this film. Introducing it as very gay, all sorts. It's not very gay, literally, or in the metaphoric or whatever sense of the word. Mm. The it's still very dull and visually there's nothing particularly impressive about how it's shot and it's hard because I think everything everywhere all at once set us up for these films that are high concept and wonderfully and thoughtfully shot this film isn't that it's very vanilla with a couple of rainbow sprinkles who should direct Thor 5? the Daniels yeah that's Mm. right <laughs> Give them Captain America for <laughs> that would be that oh would be gosh. something <laughs> that would be something. Give them Blade. <laughs> hey. 
wow, that really would be something. Um, but yeah, I feel like you guys have pretty much hit the nail on the head. I do think that it's one of those films where like none, like there are, there are no, no greater examples of your mileage may vary than with this film. I think for me, like you said, Charlotte, my patience with the goats in particular was very short. Um, there was only so much screaming I could take be honest and you, you can take that out of context if you want <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. no, um no it's uh i i feel like yeah underdeveloped is the word i feel like it's one of those things which is just both rushed but also incredibly bloated it mm. feels so like there are kernels of really great ideas in there and like relationships between characters could have really just taken like even characters that you're being told, oh look at all this history, and it's like history that we've kind of seen on screen, and we're still and it's still not completely convincing. Um, and you know I'm I'm not gonna be around the bushes between Jane and Thor. Uh, I think Jane's story itself is good, although it does lend some credence to some bigger issues that people had with things like Jojo Rabbit in terms of Taika Waititi's approach to more serious subject matters um Mm. i think that that really like it wasn't a problem with me and jojo rabbit weirdly but it was a problem with me from for me in this where i found myself thinking "Mm, this seems very insincere whereas in jojo rabbit i was thinking i'm seeing this through the eyes of a child um with with the child element and i think we mentioned you know uh, chris hemsworth's daughter being in this there is, I feel like, the third act and its message in terms of what it de- what it does with the the children, and you know, I would say that in a very kind of vague way. I feel like is a point that someone just kind of reached for at the end of it, going, uh, "Oh yeah, this is it." Um, and yet again, it's kind of reinforced what I was saying about in terms of it just feeling very rushed, and in terms of like good ideas there, but no real good connective tissue. Like you said, Charlotte, there's no real story there. It's a lot of people going to places, meeting people, and then quipping, and then going mm. to the next place, meeting people, quipping, and fighting, and then going to the next place and doing some fighting with some quips thrown in. And maybe have, like, two minutes of something being thrown about in a showboaty way, and then you're going, come on, we could have some story in this. It just feels like... I... <sighs> With Ragnarok, what was so refreshing with it was that it kind of took something which was being portrayed so duh and so overly serious, even with it being kind of a bit camp and silly, like with the first Thor is like it's Ken Branagh doing Shakespeare essentially, and then the second one is your guy from who did two good eight Game of Thrones episodes was given a big franchise film and dropped it massively. And then you had this, uh, Taika Waititi doing Ragnarok, which was really interesting. And I do think that Taika Waititi is a very talented filmmaker. I'm not one of those people that thinks that, you know, oh, he's, you know, whatever. I do think he is, I do think he is fantastically talented. I do think that he has an incredible imagination. I think you just have to watch What We Do in the Shadows, the film, because the TV series mm. is very much Jermaine Clement's baby. And, and Hunt for the World of People, which is one of my favourite films. I think it is beautifully told i think it's brilliantly directed i think it's just one of those like it's 
every element is perfect. And I think you just have to look at something like that to see, yes, he can make a great film. And I think Ragnarok is really good. I, I do rate it very highly. Um, I do worry if it's a case of, I don't know if it's a case of dilution of his presence just being everywhere, or if it's a case of a man with a lot of in- a lot of intelligence and a lot of creativity and a lot of imagination being given a lot of money and taking away all the people telling him no. I think, an, I think... In- an interesting thing is that Thor Ragnarok was from director Taika Waititi, whereas Thor Love and Thunder is from director and A-list movie star Taika Waititi. Director, A-list movie star, co-star, yeah, writer, yeah, so extraordinaire. It, mm, it, I don't know whether that's kind of dipped his perspective a little bit. I don't know. And I was Possibly. having a nosy. I found a lot of the dialogue on Ragnarok was uh, improvised. I hadn't realised the extent. And that oh, happened too, but as well, they improvised plot points as well. Again, this is through interviews. I'm kind of piecing this together. Mm. And it didn't surprise me reading that. With Ragnarok, I was like, oh, really? Smart dialogue is improvised. But with plot points here, you're like, actually, that does make sense. The scattergun approach. See, I'm not surprised at that at all, because when you have, like, Marvel Studios was built on very piecemeal, very riffy, improv ways of filmmaking in terms of narrative and dialogue. Like, Iron Man, the first one, was very famously found on the cutting room. Like, it was like a last minute job essentially but they managed to get it in the shape it was and i do think that watching this was very reminiscent of that but it's like watching that when they like it's the difference of them doing that when they had very little money comparatively of course um and a very you know very narrow scope in terms of story and everything else because you didn't have this wide branching multiverse you can dip into and then, yeah, you got Thor Ragnarok, uh, not Thor Ragnarok, Thor Love and Thunder, which is just, yeah, it just feels a bit bitty. There's and... a time and a place for low stakes. It did, like Not every Marvel film has to be world-ending, catastrophic. Yeah, And was, since yeah. Endgame, there's going to be a problem with that. You've got the biggest peril imaginable. Where are yeah. you going to go next with that? But here it feels like you've just deviated off the beaten path and not necessarily having a fun time in the process. Yeah, it does, and it kind of shows, and I know that people have kicked it around in terms of the visuals and in terms of the effects, and I have to say, I did find it distracting. Like, it was, like, I know that people have said, you know, especially in terms of the TV shows, that there are some, like, quite shonky bits of pieces of work there, because it's been quite rushed, and, you know, in terms of, and it's certainly nothing on the artists involved or anyone working in those workshops, it's very much down to the people in charge and people who are kind of mandating that these things happen on cheap and quick. Um, And, you know, if that means people having to work 18-hour days, then that's the decision that's been made. And it's unfortunate that that those artists are being put through that. But it does mean that when you want to do a rush job because you want to churn these things out like a factory, essentially, it means that what is meant to look wondrous and vivid and exciting looks like the work of someone who's been made to work 18 hours a day. 
which is a real shame for the artists and the art. Yep. Two two very quick final things that I forgot to mention. Yep. First, you can really feel Loki's absence in this film. Like, mm. really feel. like. Oh, it, yeah. It, yeah. I just found myself going, oh, it'd be so good if Loki was here. Really, really. <laughs> like, it, you know, and obviously that's its own thing. Um, and then yeah. second of all, uh, everything being said about all of the film, whatever, I must admit that the the set piece in the Shadow Realm is probably up there with like one of the best set pieces in the whole of, M- of the mm. MCU. Like I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Really, well, really it's good. the point. The way yeah, it's like color um, and the lack of color, um, which is something that you would usually complain about in a Marvel movie. <laughs> but, but it, it is. It, I thought it was absolutely. Brilliant. No, I agree. I think it's one of the few points in the film where I thought, oh, cool, they had a clear direction and plan for this bit. I was like, great, I can get on board with this. But it's just a shame that it was that and not much else. Mm. But, yeah. Anyway, that was Thor Love and Thunder. Hey, if you liked it more than we uh, than we did, or if you liked it less than we did, then let us know uh, through Twitter. You know, Reply to our messages, like, reply to our tweets, or just at us, why don't you? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, cool. So let's move on. And I'm actually going to talk about this one next because I know that Alex is going to go on about the next one. So <laughs> uh, The Sea Beast. This is a Netflix film. This is an animated film. And it's one which came to very little in the way of fanfare or attention. Uh, we talked about it in a trailer talk a little while ago. And we were impressed for what we saw. So now the final product is out. What did we think? Um, I'm assuming, Charlotte, did you did you get a chance to see this? Yeah, I saw it. Cool. I I sadly didn't. Alex, I think you're the same. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to catch it over the weekend. Okay, in that case, Charlotte, no pressure, but the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise this had dropped. I only knew about this on Twitter when Kathy Burke put, by the way, I'm in this lovely little film that's on Netflix. I've got a small role, but it's a really nice little film. And if Kathy Burke's going to say that, then I'm going to go check it out. And oh, yeah. what I discovered then was a really sweet little film that deserves more press and maybe even, I'd argue, a cinema release. Um, it is the story of an orphan hunter. So in this landscape, the king and queen have a team of hunters who kill the sea beasts to protect the people. It's been a war that's been going on for centuries. And our main character, the orphan, her parents were killed in the process of protecting the people. Through a series of events, she stumbles across Carl Urban's hunter and his captain, played by Jared Harris, with a weird accent. Not displeasing, just weird. And they are after Jared Harris's character is kind of Moby Dick Red, who is the biggest of the beasts, the most dangerous, the most perilous. And there are sequences in there that are really well depicted where Red is in action. However, our main characters find that maybe there's more to Red in this story than they first believe. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it's a really nice wheel. It's a lovely little time. It's beautiful, and I'd argue it's also a metaphor for imperialism. Ooh. Mm. Well, that sounds very exciting. And so this is, yeah, so in case you missed it, that's the Sea Beast. 
And yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a look because, well, anything that Kathy Burke endorses from being in, that's a plus. And anything that Charlotte reviews positively is a double plus. So there you go. But no, thank you so much. Okay. And well, we've held off for it long enough (laughs) to talk about it again. Brian and Charles finally got general release. Um, I've yet to see it to my great sadness still, but we know one of us has. Charlotte, have you had the chance to see Brian and Charles now? Yep. Stuck out of work at 3.30 on Friday. Nice. Love to see it. Okay, so, uh, Alex, in that, as, as the person who has made close friends with Charles Petrescu, <laughs> do you want to set this up? Yes, and in a move that is going to completely derail all of your plans, I'm not actually going to say that much about it. Apart from, I didn't think you would. That's fine. That because if, if you have listened to Jumpcast in the past, I've absolutely just banged the drum for this film ever since I saw it back in January, which feels like a long time ago. I haven't had a chance to see it in the cinema yet. I'm hopefully going to be going to watch it at some point very soon. Um, please go and watch this film because. It is just so utterly wonderful and charming and funny and just a, a bit of light relief in a world where there is a lack of such things. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, just if, if it is showing near you, then go and watch it. Thank you. Over to Charlotte, <laughs> who is now probably going to say that she hated it, which I'm really, <laughs> really nervous about. <laughs> I well, agree in the sense that this film definitely needs supporting. It's a small budget, it's a small team. It's written with so much heart and it does deserve supporting. I don't know if I loved it as much as you. I don't know if it's because I went into it knowing there was a lot of love for the film. A lot of people have said to me it's in the top five, the top three of the year so far. And instead, I really liked the beginning. I really liked the end. I feel like it's got a bit of a baggy middle where it doesn't. It could be taught, I think, in the storytelling. I also, I have a pretty bad phobia of mannequins. <laughs> yeah, that's so be an I issue was going to... <laughs> really conflicted because I'm like, Charles, you're really lovely, but your face is a mannequin. <laughs> um, and like it does do close-ups of his mouth supposedly moving, and I was filled with this dual <laughs> conflicting feelings of. Ah! Oh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> which is not how this film is designed to be watched, I imagine. So you can take my review with a slight pinch of salt because this phobia—it it was in my veins, the kind of the slight terror. Um, but it's a lovely story, of friendship of loneliness, of community. It's also a tiny Welsh village, isn't somewhere we often see on the big screen, and it was nice to see that portrayal. That awful things, the awful that happens in this film, the awful threat, is a believable, real threat. It's not an imagined world, it's a very believable, realistic world. Their friendship, considering it's a man making a Frankenstein's monster esque robot out of a washing machine and a mannequin, <laughs> is really believable too. Yeah. And Charles's development was a real pleasure to watch because he goes from this loyal friendship to um, the teenager, the adolescence period is really charming to watch. <laughs> Mainly because I work with teenagers and I see this happen firsthand. 
their voices get deeper, they get taller, their rucksacks get smaller, and they become difficult. <laughs> um, and I enjoyed seeing that play out on the screen. I, I, yeah, I it's not in my films of the year so far, but I really liked it. Wonderful. I'll take that. Mannequins. Mannequins. I'm just. I'm never gonna unhear that scream. It's so funny. God, that's my highlight. Oh Oh, no! (laughs) If someone could redub Thor: Love and Thunder, but without the goat screams and just the. (laughs) 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 Oh god, that's gonna stay with me forever. Thank you. Alrighty, well, that was the review section, and as a last little uh, thing before we go. Um, so over the last few weeks, we've been doing some like fun quizzy bits and pieces, and I think we should carry that on. But for now, at least, we should really, as we are over the midpoint now for the uh, for the year, talk about what we've been enjoying the most. Um, always good to have some positivity at the end of a podcast. So uh, let's do a quick round table of this. Um, so we're going to do the top three of 2022 so far in film. And Alex, I'm going to start with you alphabetically. Oh Go God! Don't do that. I um, I still find. Okay, I can do it alphabetically by no, surname if you want. It's oh, fine, it's it's, fine. Uh, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's Alex again. <laughs> okay, right, right. Let's let's do this. Well, are we doing it from three to one, or is it just no particular order? You can do I've got no particular order. Yeah, well, no particular. All right, order. Okay, so if it's no particular order, then it's no surprise to anybody that everything, everywhere, all at once is on the list. Um. And it pr- and if there was an order, it probably would be number one. <laughs> I- I'll be I'll be honest. I'll be honest about that. As for the other two, that's a little bit more difficult. I think um, I'd probably say if I was gun to my head, forced to pick because the ha- considering that there's only been what like six and a bit months in this year, there's been some really really brilliant stuff. Mm. So I'm going to say, and this is going off UK release. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same. Flea. Okay, yeah. And turning red. There we go. Wonderful. <laughs> He's backing away from the microphone, ladies and gentlemen. Three films about generational trauma. No, three films about generational three trauma. Three films about generational trauma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> we know where your headscape is there, Alex. Uh, Charlotte, uh, what about your top three of the year so far? I use the same disclaimer. These are films that have come out already in the UK. My list would be a little bit different if it was other. Um, <laughs> I went through the films I've seen this year, which I think is about fifty-eight at the cinema, and then I wrote out my favourite three. And I'm proud of the fact no one else in the world will have this three as their list. Okay. Oh and my, my three are Cyrano, Lee, and Jackass Forever. Oh, what a selection. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Um, Cyrano, because I think it's a classic in, in the making. People will realise that eventually. Lee, we know how brilliant it is. Yeah. We talked about it. And Jackass Forever, I went in knowing how much you two are looking forward to it, my brother <laughs> looking forward to it, and just peeing my pants, sat in the front row, being a heathen of cinema. 
cackle in the way. <laughs> and Jackass 4.5 on Netflix, which dropped what, a month or two ago, was such a pleasure to watch as well. Oh, man. I, I, God, I can't, I can't fit three. I mean, you know what? When it comes to the end of the year, I'm going to have such a long list. It's going to be unbearable. Oh. I feel like I'm going to have to be forced to whittle it down. Because this year has been so good. It's been so good. And yeah, I think there is definitely overlap uh, on my own for, between what you guys have said. Oh my God. Uh, so uh, mine, mine does have a definite number one, though. And I think that's pretty obvious what that is. But the oh. other two... Um, so, <laughs> the, uh, so the Batman isn't in my top three. No. Um, so yeah, Jackass Forever has to be in there. Uh, like you said, Charlotte, it's just what cinema was made for. It's just pure, pure artistic output. And it's just stunning. Um, I'm also going to say RRR. Oh, so I mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in in passing, but um, I, uh, it's the three hour Telugu um, action history epic. It is so wild in its scope, in its ambition, and in its effort that it's just so worth watching. And I know there will be people who are um, Tollywood purists or just kind of you know Indian cinema scholars who'll be like, "You pick that out of everything." And like I am, you know, I am fully aware of my narrow perspective in terms of films from uh, the subcontinent. So you know, that's that's on me to improve. But for now, at least, that is the best thing I've, one of the best things I've seen. But number one is by a country mile, everything, everywhere, all at once. And I still maintain that if anything beats it, then I don't even know. I don't even know what the stakes are. Did I say like you know, if there's anything better, I'll stop doing things forever? Like. No, there's no way. But yeah, it's there's it's not gonna be beaten. It's the best film of the year for me. And I think it's gonna be again, I I maintain it, I think it's gonna be an all timer. I think I'm gonna be looking back on this in twenty years and being like, Yep, that's still one of my favourite films ever. It's just that good. I've seen it three times already, and I wish to watch it seventy times more. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching something on it earlier. Um, you know, I know we should really be wrapping up, but uh, I was watching something on it earlier, and it got it, they, they in they involved some footage from the Rakakuni section, and <laughs> genuinely, my heart was a flutter, and I felt myself going a little bit because it was the climactic moment of that <laughs> with the chase, and genuinely, I just found myself like welling up already, and I'm doing it now. Um, but yeah, I, it's just what a film, what a film, but yeah. We've got five more months for something else to beat that. And let me tell you, I'm not expecting it to happen. But, well, on that note, we are, we're done for the week. We're Blimey. done, it's That has flown by, I tell you. Next week, we have The Grey Man. We have Persuasion. <laughs> and we have... Someone else, probably. Oh no, the the John Cho film. Uh, don't make me go. go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. There we go. So an interesting. I feel like it's that point where it's like, where's the big Marvel film, and that's bound to just hog all the box office. So they don't want to put in anything big, big, big. So you're getting some interesting films instead. Um, 
But what we're talking about is Netflix's most expensive film and most successful film ever made. <laughs> There's two to come. So we'll have reviews of that and many other things, along with the usual news and bits and pieces. So stick around for that. Follow the Twitter if you haven't already uh, to get updates on what we're looking for and, you know, to have your say as well. And without further ado, I just want to say another big thank you to my lovely co-host. And I will say it again, friends, Alex Gilston. Thank you very much for having me. As always. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> now get out of my house. <laughs> and uh, Charlotte Harrison. Stay sexy, comrade. Wonderful. I, that's a, yeah, bits, bit, bit Soviet. Interesting. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I've been Simon Willock. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week for more of the same. Bye.